Carl Ball is a true brother. He's been a part of my world ever since I was producing fishing shows 30 years ago. As a camera boat operator, we traveled a lot, and when not filming, we fished and smoked cigars. He and I fished with President Bush. He honeymooned in Aspen and stayed at my home. He's been one of the top Biscayne Bay guides for decades and knows the Everglades as well as the Lower Keys. Here's his story. We hope you enjoy. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. All right, um, Carl, as Nikki just made mention, we got to keep our faces this far away from the mic. Gotcha. So here's the question. Do you know where it should be, or should I put a mono loop around your earballs and around this mic? <laughs> you good? I'll probably forget and but, back up. But then we can probably take our headphones off, and we're all good, right? I bet I get all animated and back off of it a little bit. What do you think, Nick? Loop mono? What a, Jesus, you guys are too old for me. What if I just kind of kick back and do this number? <laughs> That'd probably work. How's that? That'd probably work. Right there. <laughs> do the Billy Joel. I need. Wait, can I do this? Can I hold it? A cup of Pilar in one hand and a <laughs> mic in the other. Yeah. Anyway, Carl, we've been friends for a long time. Um, I mean, we're going back, I don't know, I'd say early 2000 when I had my fishing show. You were a camera boat operator for me. I think John Glorio found you to work with us. Yeah, that's right. It was, uh, I don't remember when your show started and yeah, I don't remember I th- what year that was. I think was, it but- ended near the early 2000s. I think I had it before then because it lasted for seven years. Anyway, we've been together a long time. Right. You know? We fished, uh, you know, a number of different locations. You're getting ready to go to Louisiana. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Try to leave this coming Friday. Yeah. I mean, what a special but- place that is. Oh, Louisiana is great. When it's on fire and the weather's right, it's really good. Right. Yeah. Now, post-COVID, what kind of issues are you seeing over there? And you get the hurricanes that have destroyed a bunch of the, you know, places where you stay? Well, I have... Has that been an issue for you guys? Finding a place to stay is an issue because it sounds like all the workers have everything taken. Oh, for the rebuild. Yeah, for rebuilding. Right. So any place in Homa was busy. So we've always fished out of... Oh, we fished out of Venice one year, my first year, and it was pretty tough. We had weather issues it blew a lot we had one day that was spectacular that 
it was slick calm. Right. We just got lucky. We found one spot and fish came by all day long. So that was, we were sold. We had to try it again. The next year we went to Cocodry and it was just okay. Our first day was okay. The weather came around and the wind just blew out of the south a little hard. It got deep and it got hard to find fish and see them and the water was a little dirtier. The next year we went to Cocodry and the wind blew out of the north and we had six days of north wind, crystal clear skies. The water was low, it was crystal clear and it was like easy to find fish and it was spectacular fishing. So that's what we're trying to put our replicate. Yeah, replicate that, but it's not easy to pick your wind weather when you have a limited amount of time to go out there and it, especially and do it. in Louisiana, the weather's so dicey over there. I mean, Nikki, I mean, you can attest to this. This is probably one of our great our greatest fishing trips having fished around the world, I don't know how many times. When you hit Louisiana correctly this time of year for the big redfish, there's nothing like it. Oh, there's yeah. nothing like it. Yeah. It's completely different than the Everglades or Flamingo. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's fun too, but just to see the size of those red pumpkins laying up in the flats and cruising the banks, you know you're going to get a bite. Oh, yeah. And it's exciting. It's it's not just a little redfish. It's a, a lot of them can be real trophies. Oh, yeah. Every day you see a fish of a lifetime. Now, do you still have over there the same type of issues we have elsewhere where everything's pretty crowded? Once you get out there, it's hard to find places to fish. Or is it so open and so vast that you don't have that kind of an issue? Well, we went to uh, some real common spots where everybody is doing the popping cork thing. And that was real busy. There was a lot of boats in there, the bay boats and all, just the whole everybody, you know. But that's real easy fishing, so I think a lot of people do that. When it came to the sight fishing and fly fishing, it wasn't that bad. You know, Cocodry, we were we were by ourselves pretty much the whole time. You know, see some boats around, but yeah, it wasn't like we were fighting for spots. We did see people fish some of the same spots that we had fished that we knew must have been some spots because other boats would show up there. But it's a big, vast, wide open area, and it's probably because of the islands. I don't think you can track people as easily right. as you can in Biscayne Bay or down in the Keys. So many corners and little yeah. wiggle spots. Yeah, you just get out of somewhere. You know, you're out of plain view all the time, pretty right. much. But this is why I love you, Carl, because you're full-time professional fishing guide, and every day or any day you have off, you're fishing. You're, you're going there not to guide. Yeah. You're going there to fun fish. And you just love it so much that it, it rubs off and we can see it. And it's always a joy to have you on our boat because we know how passionate you are about, about the, the sport and about fishing. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I always tell everybody all the time, you don't be a fishing guide because you need a job. You be a fishing guide because you can't get enough fishing. And then you're willing to take other people and show them that and show them what you see and know and, and you can make money doing it because if you want to be out there that much, you have to get paid or you have to have some other source of income to be out there that much. And so that's basically where I came as I, or I went to is that if I'm going to be out there, I have to, I got to get paid. So I have to keep my nose to the grindstone and really focus on finding fish and yeah, so that's how I got, really. Well, your whole life has been fishing, you know, from what I understand, your grandfather was a fisherman. At a young age, at the tender age of 10, you had your own John boat yep. with a four-horsepower engine. Yep. Tell me about the early years of Carl Ball in Fort Lauderdale. 
Well, uh, I think it was my grandfather who was always my biggest inspiration. I mean, we talked the most about fishing and he fished a lot up in, they were from New Jersey. Um, my great grandfather owned a restaurant up there. So they came down to South Florida and stayed in Boca for a bunch of years, uh, in the off season when it was winter time up there and, you know, nice down here. And, uh, I guess eventually they brought their boat down and my grandfather had named the boat AWOL. And it was, their last name was Loa, so he just thought it was kind of neat to spell it A-W-O-L, Loa in reverse. And it had less to do with the military than it did with just their, my family name. Do, do a lot of people ask you about that? Because when I first knew of that name, I didn't have that connection. I didn't know. Yeah. And how many people ask you? A lot of, of your people clients do. say, how did you get this name? Is it from like, I ran yeah. away from society? Yeah. Well, I always just looked at like, okay, I'm AWOL from home. My wife, my, yeah, every, I'm just AWOL. I'm absent without leave. I am out on the flats fishing somewhere or something, you know? So, so kinda, what's, what's, what was more prevalent that or, or the last name of your grandfather? You know, I, so it really, I didn't. <laughs> I'm not a very creative guy. I just don't come up with these great ideas like, you know, tail bone fishing or shallow water or something. That's too or, trite and it's, easy. Yeah, it's just, you know, that explains it all what you do. No, not me. My accountant said, look, you need to get incorporated. I need to know a company name. Let's get this done. And I went, okay, well, the family name was always AWOL the name of the boat. And I went, okay, let's just call it AWOL Fishing Charters. And then from that, I built my website and I call it AWOL Fishing Guide. So right. the absent without leave fishing guide kind of, you know, and of course my wife, like you said, I go fishing on my days off. Well, I mean, you know, of she's course. not super excited about it all the time. Yeah. And that's a big reason why sometimes we all run want to run. Yeah. But, but anyway, tell me the, about these early years and your grandfather. So, uh, yeah, he was my big inspiration. Always told me all kinds of fishing stories. And he kind of chartered the boat out from Boca with one of his buddies and ran some charters out of Fort Lauderdale. They kept the boat up the New River by the Andrews. And, you know, I got some old pictures of that. And uh, so that kind of inspired me to fish. And of course, we did all kinds of family camping trips. We used to go to Sebastian and dig clams and fish the Sebastian Inlet and go shrimping. And we'd fish in uh, Stewart and go to stay at the Sandsprit Park and uh, to the Keys. We went to Chukaluski a little bit. And um, so just growing up, I just kind of fished all the time. And I don't know, remember like how or why or what, but I ended up with this little 10 foot John boat that my mom and dad gave me. And we lived in a little uh, neighborhood out West Fort Lauderdale. that was kind of a new neighborhood at the time. There's three public schools that were right there. So we could go from kindergarten all the way to high, uh, 12th grade to, to all those schools. And bunch of young families and there was canals all around through the neighborhood and the c13 canal ran out to the everglades so i guess i just kind of paddled around in those canals for a few years and bass fished. but it was easier to just go down and we could fish in everybody's backyards and from the bridges we just bass fished all the time and then i got a four horse motor and of course i brought the boat on all the camping trips you know every, the thing went with me everywhere then i got the four horse motor well, 
Good thing there wasn't cell phones back then, because I got news for you. If they would have never let us out if they'd have <laughs> known we were clear out from Lauderdale Lakes, like where 441 is in Oakland Park Boulevard, we'd go all the way out to Markham Park on State Road 84, out where the levee is. Like I don't know if you know where Markham Park is. Yes. It's out by the toll booth out there, basically. So we'd once in a while venture all that far out, so... I had a buddy of mine had a 12-foot John boat with a four-and-a-half Mercury. Oh, yeah. That was we, a game-changer. Oh, God. Talking we, about freedom. It's like getting a bike. Oh, we were everywhere. We mostly went to Inverary. I don't know if you know. It's a golf course community. Yeah. So we mm -hmm. used to go there, and they had these big lakes, and we'd just leave there at 5 o'clock in the morning, and we'd go out there and fish all day long, sneak out onto the golf course and fish the golf course lakes. and. Then eventually we, you know, migrated to the east part of town and we found a place where we could walk our boats. We had them on, we had our boats on uh, shopping carts. We <laughs> cut the top of the shopping cart off and it would just be the bottom frame with the wheels and put some two by fours over the top of it, slide your John boat up on it and walk it down the road to the, to the bridge or wherever you could put it in. Oh my God. Yeah. How awesome was that? Take your dolly and throw it in the deepest weeds you could find so no one would steal it. <laughs> And that was it. Yeah. How, how old are you at this time? 12? I think I was like 10 years old. Yeah, from from like 10 to about 14 or so, 15. Once I could drive, I got a, I had another boat that it was like a Hughes. It said a Hughes on it. I don't know what it was. I, and I didn't know anything about flats fishing then. You know, for me, it was, I mean, I knew a little bit about offshore fishing and what I did with my family, but I didn't know anything about Skinny water, fly Skinny fishing. water, flats. Right. Fly fishing was trout. You know, we had a fly rod, but it was just whatever. Not what, 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 what fish did you target mostly? Like bass? We targeted bass. Now, did you ever see the big grass carp that were out you like know, in um, you know, I don't Griffin know Road that, and that kind of stuff? I don't think they were in there back then. Right. I mean, in Inverary, that's the C-13 canal. It's just a different canal from the Griffin Road canal. Sure. I'm sure they're all... I remember when the Oscars started showing up in the canals. And what about uh, peacock bass? They Did weren't they, around. They're not around back they then. Weren't, they were started off like in Miami, I guess. And yeah. then now they're all the way up through Palm Beach. So, so you had that boat at 10... When did you gravitate to the next size boat? You know, maybe when you got a car. It was that huge. And so you could that was on a trailer. Hughes. It was yeah. on a trailer, and you could. That's when you got into the flats. I got a scenario boat and a trailer for three hundred bucks, and I put a twenty horse Merc on it, and we ran out there. We ran, you know, did the intercoastal a little bit to the Keys, but and what kind of fish were you chasing then? Did you gravitate to tarpon? We started working on tarpon kind of and stuff? snook and right. a lot of bass fishing, though. And, you know, you know, unfortunately, we were chasing women and skiing. And, you know, of course, I was like had to be the good kid, too. So I was involved with sports in high school and getting good grades and, you know, always after school. So it wound up being limited to weekends and right. there's always something going on. You know? Was that when you first got introduced to, to, with, to Biscayne Bay? Um, actually, it was, oh gosh, you know what? I had a bass boat that we bought. It was just a 13 foot bass boat. It was a newer, but it was just a cheap boat. It was no big deal. It had right. a 35 on it. And I got a buddy, I guess we were probably seniors, and we drove from Fort Lauderdale all the way down to the Ragged Keys in Biscayne Bay, and that boat in the intercoastal, 
luckily they let, gave us some gas at the Key Biscayne Yacht Club because I had no idea. I, I didn't know it was a yacht club. I just saw a fuel pump and, and we you were, were out. out. <laughs> <laughs> like you gotta you gotta give us some fuel. And you had like, no money. No, probably not much. And your peanut butter sandwiches was already eaten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like I don't even remember getting water back in those days. I don't know how we lived. I, honestly, I don't remember eating. I don't remember having water, uh, not, none of that. You but know, you were fishing. Went. We yeah. were fishing. We, we explored that. So that came back. Lots of years went by. I went to college for a while. And, um, you know, that's a whole other story. But I really didn't really fish. I quit college to work on boats. I saw these guys and met some friends. And, you know, these guys were boat captains at Pier 66. And I just thought, wow, that's that's like my job. That's what I want to do. I don't want to sit in the office and do this engineering stuff. I mean, I was already a co-op student for Florida Power and Light doing some of this stuff. And I saw what the other engineers were all doing and everything. And I just thought, oh, oh, that's kind of, kind of be boring, but God, this adventure of going to the Bahamas. So I interviewed for this job on the gallant lady, Southeast Toyota owned it. And they had a full crew of like 15 people and they were going to teach me. And they liked me because I didn't know anything. I was very trainable. Right. So they got me and I started fishing for them. And uh, one of my captains was this guy, uh, Dickie Dickinson, good friend of Butch Constables. And he's up in Jupiter. So anyways, he was my sea daddy. That was my first real fishing sea daddy mentor guy. so sea daddy was the captain of no of that boat? was no he's my just daddy a, just a my term dad, your sea yeah, daddy my i get sea it daddy, right yeah. so um and those were some really great years we had a great time fishing together and i learned so much about fishing all you know all offshore bottom fishing you know all that kind of stuff was he wearing a white golf visor back then he did he Forever, wore a visor right? and sunglasses on top and that's it <laughs> $10 sunglasses. You could get them anywhere. Polarized. I don't even know if they had a name. They were just El Cheapos. The Gallant Lady, they have a monster ship yeah. in Fort Lauderdale. They have I a, remember fishing next to it at night with mullet. Yeah. That's the, uh, they got the 172 still. Right. They use, yeah. So, but you were a mate. You guys went around, not around the world per se, but you fished the Caribbean rim quite a bit well we did virgin islands st thomas yeah we uh, with dickie um we both eventually we left that job and we moved on and he got a job on another boat and i decided okay this private boat thing may not be such a great idea i better be prepared i'll go back to college so i went back to college got a degree in economics and i had my wife turn in my senior research paper and got on the boat with Dickie, like while she was turning it in, we were headed to St. Thomas to do the Boy Scouts tournament one year. So we went down there for a month and a half and blue marlin fished and um, came back and got a job, which was terrible. <laughs> well, no, let's, let's go back to the mating a little bit. Well, I remember um, fishing on the real tight with the sportsman's journal show that I was hosting and producing mm-hmm. when we were working together a little bit and we were down there and we caught, we, we caught these two 800 pound Marlin in the same day. What was it like as a mate in the back of that boat in a blue Marlin fishery? Uh, you know, I, 
it was pretty exciting. Blue marlin fishing is kind of slow for me. You know, I I could fall asleep in a heartbeat sitting on the back deck. You know, if it was good, you know, it's exciting to see them come up and get in the baits and to wire the fish up. I mean, all that power and all that, you know, all that. It's pretty exciting. But it really wasn't my cup of tea necessarily, you know. And we didn't really do that great out there either. It was such a great place, but you know, for some reason it was an off year. I think the boat that won it caught four and it was a motor yacht and it was kind of weird, you know. So, you know, the other experiences with the that kind of stuff, we we did some marlin fishing, but we didn't have any what I look back at as, oh my God, I gotta do this the rest of my life moments. Yeah. So. Nikki likes offshore fishing. Oh God! Well, I, mean, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, if it's if it's calm and the fishing's good, We're, there's very high there's very high highs and low lows. I mean, yeah. you're sitting there and you're bored to death, and you're just looking at the horizon, and then the captain goes right rigger, right rigger, right. And just, it's chaos. Yeah, which is cool. It's it's very cool, but I I haven't done much of it. Yeah, so. yeah. I want to I want to see the fish. Yeah, I want to sight fish. I mean, that's, that's it. what gets the juices going for me. Yeah, I can pull the flats all day long and not fall asleep. I'm always looking, always, 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 always. I don't care if they're not there. I'm always got something to do, you know. I'm got to find them. But offshore, there's really not much to see until there's all it of a sudden happens. something to see. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, and if you're not running the boat, maybe if you're running the boat, you're out there. You're, you're looking the all fishing. the time. Yeah, yeah you're, you're doing the fishing. You're looking. And... You're looking at the recorder. You're, you know, all that stuff. So, right. so f- fill me in on the gap from when you're a mate on the offshore f- boat to when you first got your captain's license and started guiding full time in Biscayne Bay and Miami okay. area. Because you went back to where you got a job there. Briefly. Yeah. So I, I actually got my captain's license when I worked on the Gallant Lady. I, I knew I was like I got to get my captain's license, mm-hmm. and they were working with me. So I got sea time which was huge. Got my license upgraded to a hundred ton. Did all the fishing and decided college was the way to go. Went to St. Thomas, came back, uh, got a job working for RJ Reynolds tobacco. And it's time to get serious about life and get a career and, you know, corporate thing, right? I mean, that's what you do. Well, I was in a van with promotional things, cigarettes, going to, you know, the, the little mom and pop convenience stores, Publixes, you know, all the grocery stores and all the chains. And well, I'll tell you, sand and handrails on a yacht is prettier than going in and out of those places all day long, juggling cigarettes, right? Uh, so I just didn't enjoy that at all. So I made that one year. And Dickie said, Mr. Shaw wants you to go and be our mate to go to Cozumel for three months if you want to go, but he doesn't want you to ruin your career. I said, well, tell Mr. Shaw not to worry about my career. <laughs> I'm going with you guys. <laughs> Let's go. So that was the end of that job. I went back. And actually, while I was working at RJ Reynolds, I was so frustrated with it that I just needed to have an out. Like I was like, okay, I got to get back into fishing here. It's been a while that I really was in it, really going. So I went and bought my flats boat, my first real flats boat, and my Hughes Redfisher. It was a 92 Hughes Redfisher and had a 130 Yamaha, just the standard thing, you know. So um, I picked it up. I got it from a dealer that was going out of business down in the Keys, down in uh, in Big Pine. Drove it back with my little Mazda SR5 four-cylinder truck and 
had a boat that was worth more than my truck. So, which is the way it is now too, actually. <laughs> you know, you're telling a story that it's sad to say, but a big part of the world lives. They're, they're almost kind of stuck. Everybody thinks they have to get a job. So they get a job, they don't like it. The next job, they don't like it. They really want to be elsewhere doing things that are adventurous and exciting. Right. Unless you're in a position that you're steering the bus down the road instead of sitting in the back of the bus telling a story about what they're looking at, you're kind of like at the disposal of somebody who who's running the whole show. Right. And I feel so sorry for the people that now they get they have a child too early. Now both parents have jobs, maybe two jobs to pay for the new car. Right. And the child is at, you know, at, at child care periodically and they're behind the eight ball their whole lives. That's but here right. you were, you got lucky because you and realized right away you were not going to live that life. Yeah. And you changed it. You wanted to fish. And and that's what I so love about you. And like Nikki said at the top of this podcast, is that what's so appealing about Carl Ball is that your passion, your passion to fish on a, every day, yeah. you just want to be out there. Oh, yeah. But you made that call. Is. You made that call a long time ago. And look where you Yeah, it's look funny at the life how you've had. came around. I mean, I didn't. I didn't know anything about flats fishing. I always say if I'd have known then when I had that little green hues boat, if I'd have known then what I know now, oh, I mean, I never would have, I would have moved to the Keys probably. Right. I've been down there with my girlfriend's parents and Kudjo Key when they had a house down there. Like there was nothing. I always thought I was going to buy one of those lots on Kudjo Key and now 30 years has gone by and they're all worth a million and a half dollars and there's not a chance, but right. Um, yeah, so I got the Hughes just because I needed to have something. And then I got out of RJ Reynolds, came back from Cozumel and it wasn't long and we'd been fishing, fooling around and, uh, and Dickie was like, Hey, I'm going to do what Butch is doing. I quit working for Mr. Shaw and do what Butch is doing and just guide and commercial fish. And a light went off in my head. I'm like, yeah yeah, there's fishing guides in Biscayne Bay. And then I found out about like Mark Croca and Bob Branham and whoever, you know, and I'd see those guys once in a while down there. I had no idea who they were, Kenny Collette, you know. And so I just went, that's what I'm going to do. And I started fishing harder and harder. And I fished Chukaluski and Lauderdale. And I just, wherever I could get a trip to go, I would start taking people. You know, you don't get any big name people really so you don't have to worry you know more than whoever you're taking they don't know anything sure chartering me but the fishing was also probably good enough back then yeah you it could was almost fine fish oh yeah it was. yeah i mean it wasn't even so the learning curve was pretty steep yeah you just i mean i netted mullet all the time and we just troll mullet in the intercoastal and the river and you find out where they're gonna be and right you fish those spots i love that and i lo- learn that oh i loved learning yeah, how that's to do a, that you that's know, how we kind of yeah we kind of met with john glorio and i learned how to throw my cast net and i was throwing bananas and i was living up here in boca at the polo club and i wore a big old hole off you know brown hole in my lawn trying to learn how to throw my cast net right and i remember the first time i got semi pancaked and i got like five mullet i saw him shivering into my <laughs> net when i was pulling up I thought, oh my god I got him. I was. I can't tell you how exciting it was. Tell, tell the story of when uh, our you took our nanny 
uh, tarpon fishing and you were netting mullet. Oh, great story. We're down by the uh, Sea Aquarium, you know, in Biscayne Bay, just across from Crandon Park. Mm-hmm. So inside the little basin in there, uh, I had my flat skiff in there, and and Chrissy said, "I said I'm I'm, I'm going to go fishing." She said, "Okay, but if you go, you got to take Alex." And and my my son was. I don't know, very young, two or so. Mm-hmm. So we had a nanny at the time uh, from England, and she was a lady that Chrissy had worked with when she was playing tennis over there all these years. So I had I had her with me, and we go in there, and I see a bunch of mullet. So I get my cast net, put it in my mouth, I'm getting ready, and I'm kind of drifting along, and these fish came by, and I threw my cast net, and I leaned forward when I went to follow through like this, I stepped right off my boat, oh. right? My cast net goes down to the bottom. I climb back in the boat. I don't say a word. I am dripping wet from head to toe. I mean, I was under underground. Get my net up, put the bait in the bait well, get my net, you know, contained, put it in the in the hatch. And then I start motoring out of there. And Jenny goes, Wow, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I didn't think anybody fished like that. So she thought That's she, how it goes. She thought that was uh, you know. Throw that's the net right. and dive in and after dive it. After that's, it. Just, that's just a daily occurrence, fishing with my dad. <laughs> that's right. It's just like you got to let the uh-huh. net get to the bottom before you can get it tight, right? You got a <laughs> reputation for flying off the boat. Oh, God. When, I've seen you do it a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> what memory do you have of me flying off of a boat? Oh, we were down in uh, Lower Keys, and we were fishing out back. It was April, blowing like crazy, and there was tarpon coming by this spot somewhere out there anyways you throw it over there and hook one and you're fighting it and you stepped off the casting deck or something and i think you your heel or something hit like the gas cap and caught my caught my foot or something yeah somehow you know it slipped and right off the side i know when i fell off the boat with you too we were fishing and i had that big tarpon laid up next to the uh my boat and you went to, I stepped off the casting platform and, and my foot hit the deck and it slipped and I fell off the boat on the other side of the, the of, of the boat, remember? Yeah. So the tarpon's on this side, I'm on this side and you jumped off the tower and grabbed my fly rod, otherwise That's it was right. gonna be gone, remember? That's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, shoot. That's so funny. It's amazing what happens behind closed doors. <laughs> I remember uh, we were fishing, I don't know if we were trying to do a show or there's a couple of us. Maybe you were just in your boat and I was in my boat. And we were out like by the Lauderdale Marina. And I didn't know you very well at all. I only been around you a couple times. And so I, we were getting ready to leave and go in or something. And I had a mullet on and we were reeling them in. And, and you were standing there. And I kind of like flipped it over like I was flipping it at you. And I kind of stopped it. Like it just stopped real quick. Well, it popped off the hook like it just slipped me in the chest hit you right square on the chest i was like oh no i just hit andy mill with a mullet i almost hit him in the face with it i was freaking out you started laughing i was like (laughs) he's laughing oh god the things that happen on a boat Uh uh-huh um let's go back to you know your early years of, of flat skiffing um guiding in key biscayne Tell me about what your days were like in, in learning that whole fishery down there. Hmm. Yeah, so it was a long, uh, yeah, that was a long learning curve. I just, uh, I think what I always said was, look, I, I don't know really anything about it. I, I don't, I didn't know any guides. And 
I'd known enough that I didn't want to be a spot stealer. I didn't want like all these guides that were going to see me out there eventually to be like, oh, that guy's terrible. He's, he's the worst, you know? I mean, that's just the mentality that everybody seemed to have. It was a big issue. So I just figured if I just go out there, I won't have to ask any questions. I know how to fish. I can fish better than all these people that I'll be taking probably. So if I just fish hard and I just go and keep going, go, 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 and keep trying and trying, sooner or later during the day, you're going to catch stuff. You'll right. figure it out. And the more you go, you know, obviously the more you're going to learn, eventually you just start learning it. So that was always my mentality. And that was hard. Let me tell you. I mean, there was lots of days it was like grinding. Am, yeah. What am I thinking? Like, gosh, Holy I mean, cow. it's not. Yeah. You know, and these, these clients are paying you, you know, $600, yeah, $700. I, I, I do that with friends sometimes. It's yeah. like, gosh, darn it. I don't want to say, look, I don't know a dick about where I am or where we're going to go, but we're going to keep trying. But yeah. now you're in a professional environment. And back then it was easier. Like I could almost find at least some. There was, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't like there was no days when I didn't find stuff. There was plenty of that, but it was better to the point where you could pull a flat and not know whether they're going to be there or not. And there would be at least a couple there. Right. And you just have to really pay close attention. So that was, you know, and then kind of, I think just from reading Florida Sportsman or knowing, you know, you'd start tarpon fish in the inlet and Miami Beach and you start learning how that works. And, uh, you know, then Glorio came along, Andy Mill over at LMR or Andy Mill, Andy Novak. Novak over at LMR introduced me to him. So, um, and they were looking for a camera boat for you. And so that's, that's right. when I got in with him and. He helped me along. We talked all the time about the tarpon fishing, of course. But I think your base was Fort Lauderdale. And, it was. And, and the mullet and the, and the bait fishing there. Yeah. Because I remember when we first started fishing a little bit, we'd go net, you know, Whiskey Creek or somewhere. We'd find some mullet and go troll the mullet around and get these monster bites. And remember fishing on, on the beach, you know, all the tarpon out right. in front of Fort remember Lauderdale. Remember they were there? We went fly fishing for them that day. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I, I got a little taste of that too i mean oh my god the fishing was outrageous we had good mullet runs remember we'd go out and the mullet were crashing everywhere all that. yeah it was used to be pretty good i remember it wasn't that long ago we were fishing i don't know with lunker dog maybe ourselves and and the whole inside of fort lauderdale was covered with mullet yeah and everywhere you could see and look Right at dark, there were tarpon flying in the air. Yeah. And the spray of mullet was everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The spray in your skiff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Because you're trying to get by them, so they get crashed, and all the mullet are flying and showering right at you, and and they jump in the boat. Yeah. Yeah, They come right in the boat. I remember one time, I think I was hooked up to a tarpon with you, and the cruise ship comes by, right? Mm -hmm. We're right against the jetty. And we're fighting a tarp and it's jumping the cruise ship. Everybody's cheering. Yeah, right. You know, Fort Lauderdale was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome to fish back then. It was. What's yeah. the mullet run like today? Well, this year it was absolutely horrible. I mean, there's like hardly any. I mean, I found some. I went the other day and uh, and there was some mullet, but they were all small ones. I didn't see big schools and normally it was a outgoing tide in the evening and normally you would see lots of schools getting pushed out with the tide and the mullet or showering them by the big bridge you know and but yeah there was i saw a few small tarpon but i just didn't get a bite out of them they they really 
they seem to crash those schools, I think, because it's kind of a, you know, you go up there and crash a whole pile of them, you're liable to get one of them. When you just got one mullet, it's kind of hard. You know, they miss them on a hook even. Right. So I think when those big schools are around, they're just trying to crash that whole school. Um, but yeah, it wasn't very good. And it was just last year, maybe the year before, where I was out there on the inlet at night, and there was, there was huge schools of bigger mullet and they were getting showered like crazy by the tarpon but for some reason i you know what i i don't know that it's all of a sudden the environment's collapsing and all that normally you have, you have in the off fall, years though and everything yeah i think you're gonna have an off year it's the worst i've ever seen it it's maybe it's no big deal you have to wait and see if next year is the worst right. again or whatever but like uh we just didn't have any big storms come up the east coast either Almost always every year we have like a north, northeast blow, like 25 to 30 kind of blowing for a few days. Some kind of tropical storm moves through the Bahamas and it happens around in September, October. And then by September 15th, there's a pile of mullet here for sure. By the 1st of October, there's a pile of mullet. But we just had perfect, beautiful weather. No north wind at all. One one short two-day we're blue 10 to 15 15 to 20 out of the northeast in september so you think those storms it. push mullet down from the north somewhere always so does sebastian area have a better mullet run did they have a good run this year well because there the was more going on up there i've heard a lot of good reports and seen stuff going on up there so um yeah, I think those mullet are going to come down, right? They're and they're down here. I've in the last couple of days I've seen them in Biscayne Bay, so they're down here. They're mm -hmm. coming, but they don't get pushed in those great big wads and show up all at once. You know, right. it doesn't really get it moving. But there's some here. It just hasn't been, you know, big fish crashing. Right. Um, tell me about the Everglades and what kind of a relationship you have over there with that fishery. Well, that's kind of always been like my just personal fishing just fun fishing yeah fun fishing I, i've done a few charters there i always get my guide permit because there's the herman lucerne tournament that i have to fish or i like to fish and i take people and um you know the swamp guides thing i fished one year so i needed it for that and just in case i do take some customers that you know they ask about the everglades they want to go fish it i'll take them over there yeah. i like the everglades oh it's awesome it's beautiful there's nobody around oh. Man, it's uh, you know all it, those islands and you know the brackish water doesn't bother me i, I love finding big fish in that off color yeah. water you know you have a good chance of getting a bite yeah sight fishing's not quite as good i mean it's different because it's snook and redfish there's a few more of them but there's not crystal clear water all the time it's right. not like the bay even though the bay is harder because the fish are more scarce you know seeing those permit and bonefish um but, uh, I mean, I, I would guide over there a lot more in Flamingo and Chukaloski. If you lived closer. If it wasn't a two-hour commute each way. Yeah. I mean, What's it like commuting every day through the Miami traffic? Well. It's got to uh, be a little bit it's, cumbersome, I mean, to it's say. A, oh, yeah, it's a pain. I mean, it's. I hate all the cars. I mean, I hate the big city. I really can't stand it. It's crazy. You live you know, in the really. middle of, of a chaotic yeah. world, but yet every day you're out there in the middle yeah, of Yeah, you can it, I mean, once you're down there and it's at, you're out, I mean, it's, it's nice. It's still pretty good fishing. And, you know, you're away from the city. You look back at that and you're just like, huh, 
like, can you imagine what's going on in there right now? And you're out here. It's like and, a zoo. Uh, yeah. So it takes me, if I leave right from my house to the boat ramp, it's 45 minutes. That's not the end of the world. If no, you're fly fishing, you don't need to get bait. And yeah. if I get bait, I can kind of get bait and be to the ramp in uh, an hour to an hour and now five or 10 minutes. That's not bad at all. And then the commute home is about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, maybe. You know, I mean, and you got to do the trailer, the boat wiggle to get in your yeah, lane. Sometimes yeah, sometimes you got to do a little. Yeah, wait. yeah, tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I called Carl yeah. one time. I said, Carl. <laughs> These sons of bitches won't let me change lanes. And I'm towing my boat. I'm going 70, you know, and everybody's cutting you off. And you signal. You know, three, yeah. three miles later, this, your signal's still blinking, and not one person has let you in. No, they're not letting so you So what do you say? You got to do the boat wiggle. You got to give them the trailer wiggle. <laughs> yeah, you just like you're swerving out of the way of a tire that's on the road, right? You give it an erratic swerve, and everything's going. And, you know, everybody freaks out and puts on their brakes. Right. Slide, slide right, right in, in. <laughs> whatever way you need to go you're good right the boat wiggle no that's good uh, i mean look you caught three big permit yesterday yeah fishing's still pretty good but tell me about your now you're starting to fish tournaments i mean i know you're fishing you just finished the all tackle you got fourth in that correct yeah yeah we got fourth overall we caught the biggest permit which is kind of lucky you know yeah but it's still you got to be good to be lucky yeah you know all our permit were all or yeah we had all 28 to 32 inch fish they were all pretty good size ones a couple yeah. of them were a little so smaller but. are you gravitating to fish more tournaments i you know i never well they just never had them in biscayne bay right. and i don't really know the keys well enough to even try although it would be fun and all that but i don't know anybody that's going to pay you to go really fish right. the keys unless it's a charity event that they just like fishing with you and they don't care so um but we just, this last couple of years, like this is my third year fishing the all tackle and you had to leave from the Isle of Marana Fishing Club. And now they made it this year, finally, uh, virtual check-in. So I think it was back then, three years ago, you could actually trailer your boat somewhere and fish somewhere else. And maybe they've been doing that longer, I don't know, but that's, so we did, we stayed down there, we trailered um, up to Biscayne Bay and fished. And then last year they made it a little easier. And then this year it was real easier where we just did a virtual check-in. So now if some of these other tournaments, and I think the fall fly was the same way. Really? So now you can yeah. stay home. So and now fish you the can tournament. stay home and you, yeah, makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. No, the times are definitely changing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I never really pursued tournament fishing. I never thought I was really good enough to do any tournament fishing to yeah begin if you with. look at all the guys you're fishing yeah, against I mean, geez, legendary guys holy smokes i mean yeah we did better than mark croca i like i think he fell off the boat and got stuck in the mud and rich didn't know how to drive the boat to get <laughs> back to him or something i don't know what happened there you know but um so uh yeah i mean if they keep coming our way we fished that what was it the legends tournament for bonefish and tarpon trust and that was out of key biscayne or right. out of they they held it in uh they had the captain's meeting and the event was at Virginia Key. So that was pretty nice. You know, you, you're, you're right close to home. Sure. And then they did virtual check-in. So everybody's concern was for Biscayne Bay that, oh, my God, like you can't have 25 boats fishing that small area in Biscayne Bay. So right. a lot of people were boycotting it and and bad-mouthing it. And, but it was a virtual check-in. So you could check in at Black Point or Homestead or – 
Key West. or Key West. And I thought it was the greatest thing because when we went, there was, uh, I think I thought, saw three other boats. Perfect. So, yeah, the people that were the weekend people that would normally go heard how crowded it was going to be for this tournament and nobody went. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. It was like having a day off and going fishing. Yeah. Do you do you think you're more of a fly fishing guide, a bait guide, or do you pride yourself in being an all tackle, all tackle guide? Well, I, uh, I, I guess I have to pride myself in being an all tackle guide. Yeah, I just don't have tons of fly guys. I'd say at least 50% of my business is fly fishing, and the other part is bait and lures. But, you know, it's okay. I, I don't really, I mean, I, I always, my philosophy is everything always works out for the best. One way or another, whatever you think, you know, and how hard you try it, something. But whatever it is that comes your way, it works out for the best. And, you know, when you have those crappy weather days and you're out there and it's cloudy and, you and it's fly nasty, only guy. And you got a fly only guy. Who sucks. You're like, let's just, suck. let's just throw out a shrimp or a crab and yeah. catch something. Can't we just? I know. I got crabs right. They're right in there, and look at that. There's a rod right over there. You I just tell, hook one on. And we could get one of those. Yeah, I used to tell my friends, you know, when they wanted to do fly only, and it was not a fly day. And I've learned enough to be able to do some bait stuff and mullet and whatever, which I love. Mm-hmm. I said, "You want to mess around? Or you want to catch a fish? I mean, we can do this for the next ten hours. We're not going to see one. You're not going to hook one, right. and it's going to be really a long, boring day." But I remember mm-hmm. we used to we used to tell people that used to fish with us that wanted to catch them, you know, tarpon on fly, and they were like driven to catch one on fly. And we we're like, mm-hmm. well, look, it's overcast, it's blowing twenty. Have you ever been bait fishing for tarpon? And they're like, I don't want to catch one on bait. I'm like, we're, I remember Tr- we were like, let's us. just let's just do it. Yeah, and see what you think. And I remember that yeah. one day we hooked like six or seven, and his eyes were opened. He was like, "Oh my god, right. this is probably yeah. just as cool as catching them on fly." I yeah. tell you, a tarpon uh, mullet bite is out of this world. That's the best. We I had mean. <laughs> we had one of our best days of of, uh, of bait fishing. We were in um, the Lower Keys, and it was like slightly raining. Not much wind, but heavy, you know, very, it had some heavy clouds mm-hmm. drizzling. It was not going to be a fly day. And so we went to Baby's Coffee and we got some coffee. And I looked over to the bay side and I see this big mullet mud. I said, Nikki, today is dedicated to Jose Wahebi. That's right. I remember this. He story. said, What are you talking <laughs> about, Dad? And on his show, I remember one time, he couldn't get to the pilchards or whatever the bait was. He jumped out of his boat, waited in there with his cast net and the cooler out of his boat. Right. Netted all the bait, went back to his boat, went offshore and caught all these fish. So when I saw that show, and all of a sudden at Baby's Coffee that morning, I said, we're going to do that with these mullet. So we got the cooler out of the boat, and we waited over there. And I remember when I first started walking in, it was kind of muddy, and my sandals were getting ripped off. And so I took them off, and that, now it's coral, right? <laughs> and my feet, I go, oh, every step I'm moaning and groaning. We get out there, we're going nice and quiet, you know, we get out there. And, and I'm not a great cast net thrower. I'm okay. But I get out there after all this big effort, and Nikki's got the cooler. I'm about ready to throw it. Nikki goes, 
don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, long story short, Thanks. you know, we, we got, I don't know, dozen and a half mullet through them and the cooler went over. And I think that day we probably jumped seven or eight tarpon and caught, yeah, a, it was a, great caught day. a handful. Right. And without Jose's show and seeing how he did that, there's no way. I mean, who, who's going to do that? But it was. No, you wouldn't think so to perfect. do that. Yeah. So thank you, Jose. Yeah, for sure. Um, Tell me one of your most out, outstanding, unusual days. I mean, that was one of our days, rainy, overcast, and we caught all these fish. Do you remember anything like that that happened to you? Yeah, I hate when people ask me my favorite or whatever. The big or one, fish, or you know? one of the yeah. one of your favorites. So many things that happen, you know. For sure. I don't know what sparks those memories to come back, but uh, um, well. Let's see. Unusual. So. I'll tell you an unusual day when I called you and said, hey, we're going to fish with President Bush. Oh, that was a good unusual day. <laughs> that was a good one. Tell, tell me about that day and that story. Wow, that was pretty exciting. Um, yeah, uh, talk about nervous and nerve-wracking, right? Fishing with the president. Uh, so I guess I we had planned it out and everything, and uh, I went and got mullet. Do you remember the phone call? that you told me that i yeah, called when you yeah. called yeah, yeah. Do you remember yeah. your thoughts in your mind oh yeah i was like oh yeah of course you're like hey do you want to go um fish with president bush you know he's going to be here for this thing with my wife's uh charity event and blah blah, blah. i'm like of course let's do it but really no lauderdale like <laughs> i mean really like lauderdale sucks it's like he's like well he's here and we can go to i'm like i'm in let's go do it so it was uh yeah that was that was awesome and uh yeah, I went and got bait, and I thought we were going to use my boat. Luckily, we took your boat, and you had that egret then. That was awesome. A big bait well. Super nice guy. I wish the tarpon fishing would have been better. Yeah, we hooked and, a couple. Yeah, yeah. and I wish the people. That's the problem with Lauderdale. It's so close, and the people, and they recognize the guy. And the next thing you know, you're recognizing a guy that's been by you four times now. And you know, so Yeah. What about secret but, security or uh Secret oh, yeah. Service. Secret Service. Yeah, remember the guy? He was the, what was that guy? The frog man, maybe you call him. He had the dive gear on and like dive No shit. Off yeah, and, they oh checked, my God, checked out the under, under, yeah, underbody. Like, oh, he was like with us. So we're trolling and going, and a little while later, he's like, hey, you guys, you guys don't really need me on the boat with you. And we're like, no, you're kind of like in the way with all your stuff. Yeah, it'd be nice if we got one on, like, you know, we could move around, whatever. We didn't say all that to him, but that's what you're thinking. I'm thinking. Right. And so he's like, I, I think we're good. He got on the other boat. Yeah, so we had we a were, Secret Service boat that was following us. Yeah, everywhere. we had the Fort Lauderdale unmarked police boat that was following us all around. Jesus. Yeah. I, you know, I'll tell you a great story fishing with President Bush. We were in Kenny Bunkport. And uh, so in the mornings, he used, we used to always go striper fishing in the mornings. And then in the afternoon, we'd play tennis or golf, or actually we'd go play golf and play a little tennis possibly and then start throwing horseshoes and have a few beers for, you know, mm. with the barbecue. So we were out there striper fishing. And we got, he always had one of the Secret Service guys with us, and then they had their own boat. And um, we're running back, you know, and President Bush loved to run his boat. You know, he, he doesn't drive his car. He hasn't driven his car in years because, mm. you know, once you're a vice president or a president, you've got to be in the back right-hand corner. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I got in the car, so they always have a driver, Secret Service in the passenger seat, Secret Service on the 
driver's side in the back seat. And so he sits in the corner, so he's less exposed to mm -hmm. anybody who wants to attack the vehicle. Right. And I got in one time in that back right-hand corner, and he said, no, I got, that's, that's my seat. I, I got to sit there. So for so ever, so for so long, he can't drive a vehicle. And driving cars is a sense of freedom. You yeah. Know? And he hasn't had that for years. Right. And so we're in the boat. And he loved to run his boat. He had a fountain with like three or four motors, so it, it went pretty fast. <laughs> and so we were there one day, and, and the Secret Service boat was like a pontoon, like an, an air raft pontoon boat. Okay. And it can only go so fast. Yeah. And so one day we're running back to Kenny Bunkport, and he said, hang on, we're going we're gonna to lose, lose all those guys. So he put it in gear and pushed it forward, and the boat jumped up on plane. We started ripping. He pushed it harder. He kept going. I'm going, Oh, I'm proud of this guy. He put it <laughs> put it to the bottom, and now the Secret Service guy in our boat. Now he's talking into his wristwatch. Okay, I can't remember what they called him, but he said we're we're on a runaway. <laughs> he was so much fun. You know, yeah. I traveled for 20 years with the guy. Yeah, you know, fishing Panama. You know, the Arctic Circle. Wow. But um, you know, outside of the office, you know, he was a guy that just liked us. You know, he loved he his was. shotguns and. Uh, he loved to fish. Um, one of my most compelling moments with him was at one point he was going to be in Aspen with Margaret Thatcher and Margaret Thatcher, we had met her in London and, uh, I think it was like two weeks before the event. He calls and he said, Hey, we're going to be in Aspen, Margaret Thatcher and I for this presentation and calling to see if you want to go. We said, yeah, of course we do. Ten minutes later, he calls back, and he said, "Hey, uh, what are you doing for the weekend?" I said, "What do you have plans?" Because he used to always like call and say, "Hey, what what are you doing two weeks from, from tomorrow?" Mm -hmm. And his inflection was always would always go up. So it was uh, Andy. He'd be like Carl, and that's the way you know he uh, you know called mm -hmm. out your name. He said, "Look, two weeks from tomorrow, we're going to be in Aspen." They call back. You want to go back to Washington with us on Air Force One? We'll jump in a helicopter and go to Camp David. I said, of course we're in. So that following Thursday, we're flying back from Canada on a private plane to meet up with President Bush and have dinner and fly back to Washington on Air Force One. And we get a call from the White House, and the White House said, hey, Kuwait's been invaded, but he's invited you to have your plane turn around to go to Washington. White House will pick you up. And then the following day, um, you know, after the press conference regarding the invasion, uh, he still wants to go to Camp David. So right away, you know, midair, we turn around and go to Dulles, you check into the White House. And the next morning, he's walking down the hallway because he couldn't spend the night, but he didn't get into like two in the morning or whatever. Mm -hmm. Walking down the hall, Andy, Chrissy, you know, we go out and he said, hey, come down at three, meet the guys that's, ha you know, down in the Oval Office. And then we'll go to Camp David. Long story short, there was a mini summit at Camp David on that Saturday. And that Sunday morning, all at Camp David, you have all these cabins around the, you know, uh, the property and the main cabin is the aspen cabin where president and the first lady lived so that early sunday morning there was a knock on the door and opened the door and president bush just cracked it open and he stuck his face in the crack he goes hey i can't sleep you want to go shoot some skeet so we're out there shooting skeet and, and then we go to breakfast it was president bush uh, his daughter doro and i chrissy was not feeling well and i asked him i said hey what's your biggest fear with with kuwait he said, my biggest fear is you cannot negotiate with Saddam Hussein. And uh, 
my biggest fear is that we've got to get them out of Kuwait and we may have to go to war. And I'm sitting there as this skier fisherman from Aspen sitting with the most, most powerful man in the world talking mm-hmm. about going to war. Mm-hmm. And then 30, after the war started, with a coalition of 32 countries in 44 days, it was over. But I knew him as the guy who liked to fish. I knew him as the guy who liked to bird hunt and yeah. play golf and play tennis and joke and have a beer. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you get you step across you it's know crazy. that parking lot, and now you're sitting with a guy talking about going to war. Yeah. But he, for me, was one of the most genuine, kind, loving people on right. the planet. Well, I think you had a chance to see that fish. Yeah, that's what it was. I was going to say like. After like five minutes of being a nervous wreck and not knowing what to expect out of them, not know you don't know what to say, you, you know, and you're obviously best friends with them, and things are going good. And after a little while, you relax and you realize, and he's just your average ordinary guy. He wants to go he's just fish. your average ordinary guy. Like right. you could just sit there and bullshit with him, like no big deal, like about anything you wanted. And super respectful, not an arrogant bone in his body. I mean, I just was like. Actually, you're impressed with his record as military service to the country and being the president and all that. But that like probably hit home to me more than anything that this guy had all that, but he could still look at me, little old me, and talk to me like we were just friends. And equal. Equal, yeah. no big deal. You know, it was, yeah, it was really amazing that he was cool. like that. Such yeah. a really super genuine, nice guy. Yeah. I know. Well, look, your your presence in the fishing world is, is, is well known. You've been around a long time. You've been one of the top guides in Key Biscayne. And obviously there's issues around the world with conservation, water issues, uh, raising money to protect and preserve. Um, Give us your relationship with BTT, Captains for Clean Water, Tagging Fish. Talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, okay. So, yeah, I first got into, selfishly, got into tagging bonefish because the University of Miami was doing it. And uh, they had a website, and they showed where everybody stood on how many bonefish they tagged. So I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. This is, you know, the internet's coming out and that, you know, this would be a good way to prove that you're catching a good number of fish. So I tagged as many as I could. I really, and then after a while, it got to where you start talking to Mike Larkin and Jerry Alt and following the program. And you're like, oh, yeah, these bonefish are getting harder and yeah, they need to know some information. And then it turned into a kind of a thing. You feel like, okay, I'm out there all the time. I'm kind of obligated. Let's Let's make this happen and make a contribution. And then that turned into the tarpon tagging with uh, the uh, tarpon genetics uh, people. And uh, then BTT came along. They'd been around, but you didn't hear much from them. They were still growing, I guess. And then they came around and they had the bonefish tagging, fin clips, and uh, Costa was sponsoring a big uh, permit tagging thing. So we had some competition for tagging. And so I just, you know, kind of got all kept tagging and tagging and tagging as much as I could. And, you know, um, it was interesting to see all the results. So you, after a while you start seeing some, you know, they feed back a little bit about where their fish was caught and how long ago. And, you know, then, yeah, I started following it more and more. I really never thought there was much of a problem because at the time I was learning more and more and more and more 
all the way from say whatever when I started obviously until say 2010 I was learning more spots I was learning how they work and how they act and how to one of the biggest problems is is you and I can go out there and no one has to tell us where to throw it but these people that don't know you have to guide them and coach them and get the boat positioned right you have to figure out how to make that happen and the more you do it you start teaching people how to catch them and your numbers start going up even more. So, I mean, then it started falling off to the point where you realize, yeah, you know what, it's not getting better. And then you start opening your eyes to realizing that, yeah, gosh, the old guys, they did see it. And that's why when you go to the symposium and like I went in 2011 and all the old guys are going, there's 90% of the fish are gone. And you're thinking, nah, can't be. But yeah, you go they out are. there and you realize that's the truth. Those guys, they what they saw then, because I didn't see back then in the mm -hmm. 60s and 70s, so I don't have a reference point. My reference point was that and until I saw how it went. And now I look at it and think, oh, God, I take these young guys sometimes, these young guys, and you know, you just don't see that many fish and they're excited because they got four shots or something. They're like, oh, wow, that was so awesome. We saw a school of six or whatever, you know, and you're telling them and you're, you know, you feel so bad, like, uh, yeah, you don't even know. Like, and so sometimes I'll tell them about the environment and we'll get on that discussion. But um, so now, yeah, I pay a little more attention. I talk to customers about it. I try to sell them to go talk to, you know, or at least get a membership to Captains for Clean Water or um, you know, be a member with Bonefish and Tarpon Trust and kind of follow it and see what goes on. And so, and then I, of course, I always volunteer my time to tag permit and we put some telemetry tags and some permit a couple of years ago with Jake. And, uh, so anything that those guys need for any kind of research, I always try to make time to get them out there at least. Right? And initially with the bonefish tagging, were they trying to figure out where these bonefish spawn or what was, what was the information they wanted to gather? They just wanted to find out where they were going. So yeah. if you tag a bonefish in Stiltsville and hopefully it gets caught in the Bahamas or it gets caught somewhere. So they get kind of a migration pattern going on. And then um, it turned out that the recapture rate was pretty low, which Either they're not surviving it or they're not surviving being caught or I don't, I don't know exactly, but we just didn't catch very many of them. It was only like 3.4% of them that were tagged that we ever recaptured. And then it turned out that they were always like within two miles of wherever we tagged them originally. Right. So that probably means poor fish handling or they don't. They just don't get caught again. I mean, like yeah. in the Bahamas, there's so many bonefish. You well, know. you know, back then, that's the other thing. Like we didn't. I think about how we handled fish back then and we let them all go, but you know, you're trying to get the good picture and you know, people just don't know how to hold fish and they're going to hit the deck. You know, those bone fish flop and they hit the deck and you grab them and you get them in the water as fast and they all swim away. I mean, it was very, very, very rare that I would ever see a bone. They don't die in your boat away. or they, 10 feet from yeah. your boat. They die out there by yeah. shark, and, shark bed or. And pretty much, I don't care how you ever handle a bonefish. When you let it go, it swims off slow. It's very rare that they just like a permit will just, you'll throw a permit in the water and they'll fly off. But a bonefish just kind of like, oh. Uh, holy crap, what just happened to me? And they just right. kind of wander off, you know? What was the biggest change in in uh, 
your handling. Do you use nets? Or do you, you uh, find, you know, handling with your hands is the best over the gunnel next to the water? If I want to weigh a bonefish, I put them in the net and just hang them up real quick. Um, I think Timmy Klein and some of the guys in the Keys, like Timmy was saying, man, you got to use like uh, gloves, yeah. you know, rubber gloves. Yeah, I heard rubber I, gloves you know, is bad. The glove mm-hmm. thing, somebody gave me a hard time about it. A guy jumped in the water and held up a bonefish and he had gloves on. I didn't even think about it. And he, you know, picks it up out of the water, holds it up like that and puts it back in the water. And they're like, oh, you got to set a better example because the guy had gloves on. It's like, oh my God, I thought he was mad because we held him up. Right. No, I, think, was I gloves. think gloves is bad. Really? Gloves, because I so, remember Timmy Klein was saying, I could see my handprint on, that, on, a, on a bonefish. Yeah. Well, I got news for you. Uh, basically don't fish for bonefish anymore because I don't think hooking them and reeling to the boat is a very good thing, period. Second thing is don't touch them with even your bare hands because I just usually like will grab them over the top of the head and just pop the hook out. And right. I use like two or three fingers just, just leave to them in the water. Leave them in the water and pop the hook out. Right. And I lift my hand off of them and guess what? I got slime all over my fingers. So it's coming off. Right, but, a, but what if someone catches a 10-pounder and they want to take a photo with it? You know, I don't even, you know, I haven't bonefished in one. so long. So what's the protocol right now? Well, I know that there's a big push on social media that if you do catch a bonefish, handle it over the gunnel. Yeah. So if they fall, they're not falling on the right. deck or the sea deck and, right. and ripping the, the... Some of the obvious yeah. things. Yeah, the slime Make it very off. quick. Yep, very quick over the water. See, what I used to think yeah. here is before I take them out of the water i revive them first yeah exactly okay revive them before you lift them up out of the water mm-hmm. so you get to fly out they're in the water let them stay in there let them revive a little bit and get the camera ready okay here he is photograph back down yeah. he's out of the water maybe 10 seconds so with with clients there even some of your clients that fish and know stuff you know and some of them sometimes that's the worst but Getting somebody to hold a bonefish until you've showed them and they get it. I mean, I do a little different thing where I want them to lift it out of the water. I want their face to be in with it. I don't want them holding the thing like this, though, and in the boat because I know it's going to hit the deck. There's a really good chance. So it's pretty rare that anymore you're ever going to see a bonefish come inside over the gunnel. So I get them up to the boat. And I tell the guy right away, I start t- coaching him. Like, we're going to grab the leader with our hand right close to the fish. And I want you to just slide your hand under his belly and right up somewhere by his head. Get him settled down. Let him settle down. Keep working it until he's there. And then just lift it up. Look at the camera. You're, you're laying down on the side of the boat. You just lift it up out of the water a little bit and set it back down. And so they don't have to touch it. Well, I mean, by the time you circle it around a few times and you explain it to them, the fish is already kind of revived a little bit. Right. They're, they're doing much better. They're kind of hard to keep on your hand because they're revived and they're flopping around. But now you only have one hand on the bonefish because your other hand's holding the leader. Exactly. Yeah, and it's over the water. And it's so- still hard to do because people will inevitably, I don't care how much explaining I do or how long I take, they always reach over the top and they're trying to grab it some weird way. They're trying to grab the tail and they're trying to do all this stuff. If you just slide it up on your hand and give it a little lift and set it back in the water, it takes, I mean, you can hit that button six times in one second. If you just hold it up properly, you get a great picture of it. It's easy. What kind of job security do you have? I think. Oh, yeah, I don't know. 
Uh, I mean, look, huh. look. I don't want I don't want this podcast to make it sound it's, it's dour and it's over because it's still great. I mean, we have bad days and we have good days. Yeah. But my perspective has changed. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay with seeing a bunch of boats because we are a big promo, prom, uh, promoter of what we do out there. Yeah. Um, but you're not out there trying to make a living on no, the water no, all day. No, I get that. And I can see the frustration. That's why I'm asking about job security because you're a professional. You're out there every day. Yeah. Do you still have great enthusiasm for for your job and, and what you do? Well, I mean, I do. I, I And I always look forward to... Even if I have like some guys that I like to fish with and it's going to be crappy weather, I like to go out and do that. You know, I'm, well, you're, I like you're a fun challenge. guy to be with. Yeah. Yeah. Also. I, and I enjoy being around all these people. Even if I don't know them, I, you know, I've done it enough where, okay, we're going to figure this out. That's my, that's my fishing rod is that guy's my fishing rod today. Right. I got to go get one. So for the most part, I always enjoy it and I like the challenge and everything, but it, it's, it's hard because I'm looking over my shoulder all the time for the other boat and there's not as many spots. And then you get frustrated because you do see all the boats on the same spots, the most popular spots that, you know, I have been fishing those spots forever. And this happens to all the guides. And now you don't feel like those guys are going out and finding their own thing. Like I said, when I first started, I was like, if I saw a croak of fish in a spot, or Bob Branham fishing a spot, I'm never going to go there. They're never going to catch me there. I'm never going to go there because I don't want a guy to be saying Carl Ball's a spot stealer. And nowadays, you just expect it. It's going to happen. That's just the way it is. You know, somebody sees you, people talk about it. It's open. You're not going to hide anything. And there's just, there's five bonefish spots left. There's going to be a boat on all, and everybody talks. You know so. what? That's what Bobby Branham said when yeah. he was doing a symposium here recently. He was saying he had the chart of Biscayne Bay. Mm-hmm. He had red, red magic marker. He said, when I first started, this was my office. And with the red magic marker, he starts scratching. This is gone. This is gone. This is gone. This is gone. Mm-hmm. And it got down to one little piece of the pie that everybody has access to because that's the only those, the only those spot are the only spots where there's fish are. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, now I'm the guy that has to go out and reforge my way and find these <laughs> fish again. There's got to be some fish in some other spots. Yeah. You know? Are you lo- are you looking for new spots? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I keep my eye out all the time. Or go, going to spots that you went to 15, 20 years ago, seeing, absolutely. Huh, I wonder if they came back here yep. checking the seagrass and all that. Yep. Um, I kind of want to make a change next year. I want to like maybe spend more time out there by myself. I've always been kind of, I need to make some money. You know, I mean, really, you got to work and make money and plan for the future and buy the next boat or whatever, right? You have to kind of, for me, I got to stay on it. So I have to explore with customers a little bit and I have to also put them on fish. And when you need to put them on fish, you have to fish the spots that you know really well. You can't really go and explore. Like I could go by myself and sit on one flat all day long and watch it. But if I bring you, I'm going to feel obligated that we're going to have to go and try to catch something. We're going to go back to the spots that we fish all the time. And I, I, you know, I would rather be out by myself and not have any pressure and pull around and see different things. When I first started uh, fishing 40 years ago with Harry Spear, I asked him the same question. He says, every day I'd spend this little window of time 
knowing that the tide might be right in a spot that I've never fished. I'd go fish that spot because you don't, if you only go to what you know, you're never going to find anything new. So back then he said, I'm always looking, always trying to new spots. And when you talk to Mike Guerin and and, uh, Willie Benson, all these guys that have been doing it forever, they're always looking for an edge, a little, a little covey of something that no one knows about. And like, uh, People make comments like, God, you're fishing that weather? You're so hardcore. Like, you really go, how do you like your, you You know, do. You fish, you fish in the yeah. worst weather on the planet. <laughs> it doesn't well, matter you, what well, the weather well, is. You know you're what, fishing. You know what Steve, I, am, you know, I don't care. You know what Steve Heff <laughs> says about that a long time ago? Ask him about that. He says, well, if you don't go fishing, you don't get paid. Yeah, and that's Even it. Even if it sucks. Like, I tell a hurricane him, I go, it could suck. It could really suck. But I got a couple things that might work. We should go. No, and, it, but in reality, I got to get paid. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know so, what? You do catch. I mean, yeah, I, I know would, a bunch of guys that do very well in, in poor weather, you know, goes, just because they're there. It goes back to this, though. Like, okay, if you don't need the money. You're not going to go out on those shitty days. You're not going to care, you know, but you got a guy that's in town from New York and it's a little jizzly, it's blowing, you know, those guys, you know, it's like 70 degrees. I got my jacket on and he's in shorts and a t-shirt and you know, he doesn't care. This is Florida. He's loving it. He He wants wants to to go. go. Yeah. Yeah. Your crappy day might be. He's got this weekend and that's it, you know? And I'm like, okay, let's go. And I go and nobody's around and you catch fish and you find out you yeah. figure out where they are you figure out how to get them you drift through you know you're tarpon fishing you mark them on the recorder you can't get a bite you switch it up a little you know i mean you right. kind of you, you figure it out yeah. and you and that's what really keeps me going too it's like that figuring out all the time there's always that challenge that will make you a better fisherman and yeah and, so. and also, too, I can't imagine you getting bored because you fish Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Biscayne Bay, Flamingo, Alamrata, the Lower Keys. We've seen you yeah. down in Marquesas. Yeah, in the Lower Louisiana. Keys. Louisiana, Chukalusky. I mean, you yeah. fish everywhere, which, you know, I love. But do you get any negative feedback from other guides saying like, oh, you know, kind of stay in your lane, if you will? Stay in Biscayne, don't come to the Lower Keys. You know, I've been lucky. I eased my way down into the lower keys. I, you know, I, I brought one customer down there. He'd never been down. He wanted to see what it's like. We started going and it turned into three guys wanted to go check it out. So, and you know, I told him straight away, look, I don't, I, I don't know it that well. I, I fished with Andy down there a few times. Andy and I talked about it. I did a show years ago down there with Harry Spear I don't know anything about it. I just know that how tarpon fishing works in Miami and, you know, like Caesars Creek area. And we need to get on the edge and find a point. And I knew you would help me out a little bit. And so I just went down and started fishing the points and the edges, you know, the stuff. Right. Um, And of course, you see other boats out there, you know, but the big thing, like I said about like when I first started guiding, I see a boat on a spot. I'm like, okay. I'm from Fort Lauderdale. I know that when Croca moved down there, he got his tire slashed. I'm not going to get in anybody's way. I don't want to hear it from anybody. I, if I was on vacation and I wasn't a fishing guide, they'd probably cut me a bunch of slack. But since I'm a guide, you never know what could happen. I don't, I'm not even going to tell anybody I'm coming to the lower <laughs> keys, except 
these three guys and you, and that would be it, you know? So I just eased my way in there. Now I think quite a few people know about me going yeah. down there, but nobody's threatened me with anything. No, they're all pretty and, cool. Yeah. And I, and, and they, and all the guys that I now know and talk to about it, you know, if I talked to Dustin, like I would never even know if Dustin was there or not. I just don't recognize him in his boat. I mean, I, I just don't know who these guys are. Very few of them. But I, I'm the, still the same way. If I see somebody out there, I'm scared to death to get yelled at because you hear all the stories over the years. So I just ease in. If it doesn't look good, I move down the way. If it's so crowded, like we were down there one day this year. And man, it was one of those days. And the, every spot was taken. It was the whole entire way. And I oh, got so down there to you guys and I stopped and I went, oh man, okay, so what are we going to do here? I can see as far as I can see down, there's boats got to be on every one of those spots. And so I knew you guys wouldn't yell at me and I was giving you plenty of room. Sure. And I just slid in there and I know you guys were like, wow, <laughs> that's not even a spot. What's he going to do? And you know, the next thing you know, they're like, well, here comes one right here. Right. And I was looking where they were coming from. They weren't even like coming where you guys were. They were like further out. They, right. There were some that were coming from well, a little. The, the key, I think, is just giving space to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Just you giving have each to, other space. Got to give everybody a little bit of work together. Yeah. I mean, it's not that big a deal. And like that day, we weren't going to. I mean, They probably didn't even see our fly. And actually, I think it is a spot there. I think that's a spot because <laughs> there's a little bit of a shallow spot. And I got on it and I was like, okay, they seem like they're just coming right well, yeah. inside there. With the, it, well, not only, do you, not only do you travel, you make up spots. You, <laughs> you got to make it up as you go sometimes. And, you know. And I can hear you now. Okay. All right, they're going to come here at about 10 o'clock. They're going to slide to the right, and they're going to come right off the bow. That's it. In the back of his mind. I Whatever you say, know. if you say it with conviction, it's the truth. That's the truth. And how would he know? Yeah. Well, um, you've had a great life in fishing, for sure. You've been a great friend of ours forever. Yeah, you guys have been awesome. Yeah, we smoke cigars, we laugh, we giggle, we have a good time, drink yeah. some Papa Pilar, and go catch a few fish. What's yeah. wrong with that, right? Nothing. I was, uh, I'll tell you one night, when you did that uh the interview with Nathaniel was about you. And I was like, hmm, I pretty much heard all those stories. And I realized how long we've been friends. I was like, holy crap. I mean, I didn't, I, I never thought about it. Like, you've been a really good friend to me. I remember in the beginning, I'd never call you because I didn't want to be a pest. I didn't want to be like on your heels. One of those guys, you're a big celebrity guy, right? And every year Not. you would, yeah, you would call me and go, Hey, let's go fishing. What are you doing? I'm like, Holy crap. Like, yeah. Okay. Let's go. And then right. next you've thing you know, a, you've been a great yeah, friend. So we've had a good run. Yeah, for sure. And it's not over yet. Um, yeah. as we wind this up, is there anything that you'd like to add? Uh, you know, I think the big thing is, um, you know, as far as the conservation stuff goes, you know, I think everybody should really take it a good look and uh, get affiliated with, at least be a member of like Captains for Clean Water. And I mean, I I like them and, and Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. I mean, those are two, you know, things that I think are doing the most good. There's all kinds of ways you can get involved, but 
I just see those guys a lot more maybe and you know but they seem like they're doing really good things you know i mean it's not like a gimmick thing or anything no, you it's, know it's, they're, it's, they're the real deal we've got some bad water out there we've got to fix yeah, and, and we've got to preserve you know the fishery yeah. and the habitat and it yeah. all comes down to making sure they've got a good clean house to live in right That's well first, first thing is a, awareness yeah we well, need to spread awareness that's right. the first thing and the right message of awareness right it, for sure there's just, uh, it's unbelievable the amount of people that you realize are clueless about it. And we have so many people moving to Florida now that have no idea what's going on. And they're not going to vote like we're going to vote for the water. It's just not going to happen. They think it's all great and peachy keen. They look out over their balcony out of their 20-story condo and look down and see this big giant white sand flat out there and some clear water and they think it's beautiful they have no idea that that sand flat used to be covered with grass and it was actually fish you know not just blowfish sucking algae off the rocks at their at their seawall there you know um so yeah the awareness like you said the awareness is a big thing and the more the young people I really got to hit the young people somehow because they're the when new generation. You, yeah, when you listen to stories about Butch Constable and and you know Harry and all those old guys that fished back in the '60s and '70s, and they tell you how much fish there was and how it was, and you see the development. I mean, just when I was a kid in Lauderdale in 1980, there was nine million people in the state. Now there's 22 million people in the state, and there was all those fish. And then they started saying the decline was in the 80s. And I look back at the 80s and I go, wow, that was pretty good to me, but I didn't know. And then now you look at what's left and you think, okay, so 60 to 20,000, that's like 40, 50 years ago. It was red hot. And 50 years with the amount of development that we have, um, there's nothing left. There's literally like nothing left in 50 years. Everything's bulldozed. Everything's a condo. Everything's a big mansion. I mean, what what's going to happen to the environment? Somehow it has to get stopped and changed and preserved. And, you know, these are the guys that are really working the hardest at it. You know, they're going to save it for the younger generation. But then we need the votes and we need to get that younger generation somehow amped up and really paying attention. It's not just about no more plastic, you know. It goes a lot deeper than that. It's all encompassing. That yeah. clean, it is. It's everything. It's, it's really, it's, I get frustrated that I haven't been more active in it, but when I look at it, it's very frustrating because it's so big and so overwhelming. It's like everywhere you look, everything you do, it's all, the humans are just wiping everything out as fast as they can, you know, and, and to get up on that and see how to change that. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming. We were on the road last week driving all over the state, you know, we're up in Destin, Naples, mm-hmm. uh, San Marco. And you're talking about, I mean, everywhere you drive, it's development and people are gravitating to the state of Florida. Yeah. With all the golf courses and the nutrients. And, you know, you can go into the sugar and the farming, et cetera. Wherever you look, there's an issue. Yeah. You know, there but, is. It's not like just said, that. They, they've got people, have got to be paying attention as to, you know, what is happening, you mm-hmm. know, in this, in this state. And in the waters that are our, our, our doorstep. Yep. Um, anyway, thank you for joining us. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for having we me. We had a great really run. Good. And like I said, it was, 
We're right in the middle of it. Yeah. Thanks, and we'll man. always be yeah, friends. Love you, man. You too. Carl, thanks so much, man. Take care, Nikki. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. We all know we only have a handful of friends that you can truly count on. And it makes it that much more fun when that friend is a great fisherman you can hang with. I can't wait for the next time we're on a skiff together, cigar in hand, pulling each other around. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do us a huge favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.